Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. COVID-19 positivity rates are ticking higher again. After a steady drop toward the end of this summer, positive cases are rising across the map and locally in places like Long Island and Staten Island. Nothing like what we saw a year ago, but something health experts are watching closely. One number not going up so fast anymore is the number of new vaccinations. We get too enthusiastic about the number of vaccinated uh, when I'm really focused on the number that are not vaccinated because those are the people at risk. This week, one of New York's top health experts, Dr. Irwin Redlener, goes in depth with us on where we are in the COVID-19 battle heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. One thing he's pretty sure of. Yes, I expect a spike. How high, how big, how lethal, I don't know. But it's almost inevitable that we're going to see a surge. And just ahead of your family gathering next week, our conversation with a Harvard Medical School expert on the art of negotiation and conflict resolution for the family. Yeah, so I mean, so definitely Thanksgiving connects with all of that. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheldt. His is a calm voice in a steady storm of information about COVID-19. And he has always been honest about where we are and where we are headed. It's why when we saw the numbers ticking up, we wanted to get on the phone with Erwin Redletter. So I'm Erwin Redletter. I'm a physician. I am a director of the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative at Columbia University. And... Uh, I'm also a professor of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and I'm a public health consultant for MSNBC. Over these past 20 months in this pandemic, we have frequently called on Dr. Redletter to help us understand what we are up against. Once again, he found time for our reporter Peter Haskell, and they started the conversation on the topic of the vaccinated. Here in New York, the number of fully vaccinated New Yorkers is now at 67.7%. That's a good thing, right? That means one-third of New York of New Yorkers are not vaccinated, are not fully vaccinated, which is a huge pool of, uh, of potential for being infected by a COVID-19 virus, the SARS-CoV-2. And uh, that I, I think we, we get too enthusiastic about the number of vaccinated. Uh, when I'm really focused on the number that are not vaccinated because those are the people at risk. And when you have an aggressive 
virus like SARS-CoV-2, uh, they are, in essence, the virus, you know, survives by finding people who are susceptible to being infected, which means virtually everybody that uh, is not vaccinated. So we still have huge numbers of people nationally. You know, we have 330 million people in the country, about, you know, somewhere between 200 and 250 million are um, are vaccinated. Uh, but that leaves, you know, 100 million or so that are not vaccinated, which counts children who just became eligible and then children, all children under five and so on. So we, I don't think we have been as successful as we needed to be or need to be in, in terms of getting everyone vaccinated. So the combination of the Delta virus, which is pretty aggressive and replicating and, and transmitting from person to person, uh, plus unvaccinated people. And now we're seeing a winter uh, surge beginning, and that's because the, with the cold weather probably has some beneficial effect on the uh, virus's growth. But most importantly, we're going to see you know, more and more time indoors and then, of course, we have the holidays coming up, which uh, will mean a lot of families and, and friends getting together to celebrate the various holidays that are going to start with Thanksgiving and go through you know, New Year's. So it's a dangerous time anyway uh, for what's going on with the pandemic and, and to which we have still too many people that are unvaccinated. How concerned are you, or how would you characterize this uptake? Is this is this a wave? Is it a surge? Is it a big deal, or is it just part of the ebb and flow of the virus? You know, it's hard to say still, Peter, because the ebb and flow of this particular virus is a, is a mystery. There's so much we don't know about it. Uh, we don't know how many more... Um, variants or mutations we're going to see. We just don't know. We don't know how uh, aggressive those uh, variants might be or whether they'll still remain as susceptible to the vaccine as the current strains are. Uh, so there's lots of unknowns. And, you know, we had a peak in September uh, and then it started to decline. And we were talking about uh, good trends in terms of declining numbers of cases and hospitalizations and fatalities and then it's now it's ticking up again uh so in some ways yeah you can define it as an ebb and flow how long does the ebb and flow go on though how many cycles do we see and no one no one knows the answer to that unfortunately do, do you have a sense of whether what we're saying is just again that path of the virus or is it the behavior that we're uh, it, taking part in or is it waning immunity for those who have had the vaccine well one of the things we found out and uh, it was I, I was going to say it was a surprise but maybe it isn't that uh you know starting around six months after the second dose of one of the mr mrna virus uh, vaccines which mean the moderna or the pfizer products that the immune levels start to come down the weird thing about the immune, let I say, immunology or the antibodies start to come down is we don't know what the correct level is to make sure we're protected. 
So we get a number back from the lab and we still don't know how to interpret that clinically or how to interpret that as, you know, is it dangerous to be uh, at 30 as opposed to at 500? No one knows what that cutoff point is. So what we do know is that there's a waning, a diminishing of the uh, antibodies. And so to be on the safe side, we give the booster shot now if it's six months or more since your last shot. And that really uh, spikes uh, to very high levels, the antibody level for some period of time. We don't even know how long that's gonna last. That is the booster spike. So yeah, this is, you know, there's a lot of I don't knows in conversations like we're having right now and it's unavoidable. And we have different people interpreting things differently. We had. Scott Gottlieb, the former, uh, a physician, the former FDA commissioner, who a couple of weeks ago was predicting, he said uh, publicly that, you know, by the beginning of January, we should be pretty much uh, uh, done with COVID, which was a, a kind of a shocking thing to say. And in fact, this doesn't look in any way, shape or form like that is going to be uh, an accurate prediction. Federal health officials just this week have begun looking to open up access for booster shots to all eligible persons in the U.S., not just those over 65 or within defined health risk groups. And you may have noticed, but government officials across this area have been encouraging anyone who wanted to get the booster to go get it. We wanted to hear from Dr. Redletter about these mixed messages from federal health experts and local government leaders across the country. New York City... New York State, California, Colorado, the fact that the local and state governments are getting ahead of the feds, is that good? Is it bad? Is does it does it muddle the message and is there a concern yeah. that people don't know who or what to believe? There's certainly that concern and that's been the case for years now. Um and uh well, I guess as long as the as long as the pandemic has been with us, that is the concern. And part of the problem, uh, Peter, is that that the federal government does not have the authority in our federalist system of governing to make a policy that must be implemented everywhere. We have we have a federalist government means that the states. Uh, get to have a lot of authority on on many decision making uh, challenges and and in fact sometimes the city or local jurisdiction will also have the ability to make policy so what we have is a patchwork quilt of varying policies around many aspects including whether we're mass in school how are we going to can we actually mandate uh the uh, getting a vaccine in various settings and so on. So yes, this is the way it is in America, which is that we have the ability for individual states and then local jurisdiction to make uh, all kinds of decisions. And yes, to your question, it is definitely confusing. So I guess the question is, do you have concerns that people here the state says one thing, the feds say another thing, and, and people say, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. I don't know what to believe, so I'm not going to believe. Right, so if you're if the idea is we want to get 
as many people vaccinated as possible. It'd be great to get to, you know, 85% of the entire population of the U.S. Uh, fully vaccinated. That would be great. And we might then start approaching that level that we used to talk about herd immunity, where we have enough people vaccinated uh, that it basically shuts down the replication and transmission of the virus. That's good. And if that's our goal from a, a objective point of view, um, and we have varying messages or messages that get reversed or, uh, you know, differences between a state and a federal government uh, perspective, that undermines confidence. And for people that are vaccine hesitant, it does not make it easier for them to go ahead and get vaccinated. And by the way, it still doesn't, it still doesn't, even if we had a consistent message, we still have many people who are not just hesitant, but hardcore resistors uh, who won't get vaccinated. And they're looking at conspiracy theories and other nonsense on social media, on the web. And those people will be also reinforced by a confusing set of policies or messages that come out of various parts of government. I want to ask you one more thing about this, and then we'll move on. When it comes to vaccines and people who are not getting vaccines, it's been 11 months now since the first vaccine was given. Are those folks ever going to get it? Can we convince them, or do we just have to accept the fact they're not going to get it? Well, then they are going to, you know, hopefully the more places, workplaces, events, theaters, uh, you know, sporting uh, events and so on, the more places that require proof of vaccination to come in the door, uh, you know, that's going to be a real crimp in the lifestyle of people who choose not to get vaccinated. And I'm hoping, you know, that employers will increasingly be saying, hey, listen, if you don't get vaccinated, you can't you can't come in the work, you can't come in the office or the factory or whatever it might be. And those are pretty heavy sticks. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, we're going to have a, a lot of people who were formally resisting, formerly resisting, uh, are going to be now motivated to go ahead and get vaccinated if they want to keep their job and so on. And I think that's a good idea. Thanksgiving. Uh, what is your plan for Thanksgiving this year? How does it compare to last year? And how is that different from pre-pandemic this year and last year? Pre-pandemic, we would not only stuff ourselves, we would stuff the entire extended family into one place, let's say our house. And uh, that would be, I don't know, 20 people or so. And... Um, we would have a big festive Thanksgiving. It was uh, it's one of our favorite uh, holidays. Holidays, and that's what we would do. And last year, we didn't do that at all. We just didn't do it. Each individual nuclear family did its own thing. This year, we're going to have some modification. We're not we're not bringing the homish book of the entire extended family together, but we're going to go to our son's house. Uh, with a much smaller number of people. And, uh, you know, we know that everybody's vaccinated, including the kids now. So that's what we're going to do. 
What advice do you have for folks who say, I'm concerned, I'm not sure what to do. Maybe there are kids 5 to 11. Maybe there are kids younger than 5. Maybe there are grandparents involved. What, what advice would you give? Well, I give, first of all, if you have people in your household that have particular vulnerability, either medical or age or whatever, um, you have to, you, the, the guidelines for that kind of family setting are different than, you know, a basically healthy, totally vaccinated uh, group of people. And I, I think that if everyone is vaccinated and if, uh, you know, if you don't have anybody of particular vulnerability in the household, then yes, you can have a Thanksgiving uh, dinner in your house. Uh, I would still keep it not overcrowded, um, and I uh, and that's what I would do. Um, the other question was, how are people getting to Thanksgiving dinner? Um, I still would not recommend doing something that would require airplane travel or train travel. It'd be better to avoid those kinds of transportation systems still, in my opinion. Do you expect that we that we're going to see a, some kind of post Thanksgiving spike and then maybe a post Christmas spike, post New Year's spike? Well, the whole period of time, from really from Halloween or let's say at least from Thanksgiving through New Year's, uh, is a high risk situation because there will inevitably people be people getting together. There are certain people who become super spreaders with or without vaccine and i think uh yes i expect a spike how high how big how lethal i don't know but it's almost inevitable that we're going to see a surge uh resulting from the, the winter holidays and about those winter holidays and in particular thanksgiving covid19 has definitely presented us with many challenges in gathering with loved ones Maybe you're not sure how to handle the delicate conversations at the dinner table. Maybe you're not even sure who to invite this year. It's why we connected with Dan Shapiro. He's an associate professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. And better than that... I direct the Harvard International Negotiation Program. And, um, and I authored a book recently called Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. How to Negotiate Your Most Emotionally Charged Conflicts. Um, it- Yeah, so I mean, so definitely Thanksgiving connects with all of that. It's a conversation we think you may want to share with friends and family this year. We found it fascinating. Our Peter Haskell began it this way. The holidays are always a fraught time with families getting together. How does COVID and vaccines or vaccination status play into all of this? Well, I think on a couple of different levels. One at a purely political level, different members of the family may have different opinions on what the right thing to do is, vaccination, no vaccination. So, you know, right there, you're bringing human beings together who have different political perspectives that can easily, uh, that can easily inflame conflict at the Thanksgiving table. I think that also gets complicated because families have histories. You know, why do you always give more attention to my sister than to me? Why does dad love you more than me? Um, So you you have these sort of 
historical um, family grudges that can emerge through the proxy of a conversation around vaccine, no vaccine, together, it can really cause some inflammations at the Thanksgiving table. This is clearly a sensitive subject. People, you know, some people say, I just want vaccinated folks in my home. I don't want to exclude people. Maybe we can test. Maybe we do this. Maybe we do that. How do you approach the subject and how firm should you be? Well, every family is going to have to make that decision themselves. Um, It's not, I don't see it as my place to recommend things one way or another. I mean, that's up to everybody to decide. I do know a couple of things, though. One, if you don't invite someone to the dinner table, no matter what their stance and no matter what your stance, be ready for family conflict. You know, no one likes to feel excluded and judged. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I think it's, on the other hand, do you invite people? How do you do it? And I, I think the way that we often approach the issue of, um, you know, how, how a family should figure out Thanksgiving get-togethers with some who are vaccinated, some who aren't, you know, one all-too-typical way is to each people from each quote-unquote side to accuse the others of being idiots and maniacs, you know, and this just tears families apart, Uh, and and it's not in the spirit of Thanksgiving nor family. To me, given the nature of the work I do in the international realm is with parties who have extreme and strong political differences with one another, whether Israelis and Palestinian leadership or other, you know, others in other warring parts of the world, even in the, those kinds of situations, there are ways of trying to bring people together to talk about the real issues. And it's with that spirit that I would maybe, you know, I, I recommend approaching the issue of who should come to the Thanksgiving table. You know, so very practically, I think a much better approach is to turn the issue into a shared problem to be solved together. So if you're thinking about inviting people who stand on the opposite opposite end of the vaccination issue, call up those, you know, call up some of the key family members in your family one at a time, those who are vaccinated, those who aren't vaccinated, and get their ideas on what to do. You know, what's your advice on how we can make sure everyone feels safe and comfortable when we get together? And your job isn't to judge anybody's ideas, it's literally to brainstorm and to see what ideas emerge, maybe getting rapid tested right before gathering, or everybody eats dinner outside with the heater, or you have cocktails outside and then you eat dinner in different places. Some ideas are gonna be really stupid and they're just not gonna work, but maybe you as a family can come up with some ideas that could work. And that's the approach I'd recommend you know, was to try and turn this into a shared problem to be solved rather than in a, uh, you know, in a conflict to be won, a battle to be won. And how about some advice on how not to handle conflicting ideas with table guests? I I wrote a book a couple years ago called Negotiating the Non-Negotiable, and there's a whole chapter in there on what I call an assault on the sacred. That I think that these... um, our stances on something like the issue of, on, on vaccination and the issue of vaccination, it's not just, you know, sort of like what TV show do you like to watch? 
this is an issue that people feel really passionate about, that represents a part of their own sense of identity. And so the moment we're sitting at the dinner table and I assault your sacred, that which is deeply meaningful to you, in a way that's like I've just taken out an emotional dagger and shoved it right in your direction. So you're going to react strongly. Um, and I, I think a lot of today's politics has embraced our sense of identity. And so any threat to our political stance is a threat to who we are, to our identity. Quickly, the flames can start to emerge. Professor Shapiro has a pretty amazing resume, advising everyone from world diplomats to the FBI on conflict resolution. Perhaps those strategies might seem a bit over the top for our friends and family. Or perhaps it might be right on the mark. Now, I remember a few years ago, I was working with a group of Israeli and Palestinian diplomats. And um, and we were talking about a concept that I write about. I call it vertigo. This is useful for anybody, by the way, sitting at the Thanksgiving table and trying to keep the calm. Vertigo, most people would know it as a medical syndrome, a, a sense of dizziness, even if you're not at high heights. I use that word to describe the feeling that we get when we get just so consumed in a conflict situation that we can't think of anything else other than that evil uncle who just said that he supports that opposite side on vaccination. And oh, I can't, you know, so our emotions start to get into the conversation now. And no matter, you know, the, the, the turkey comes out, but I don't even see the turkey anymore. All I can think about is uncle's perspective on this issue. I'm in vertigo. We can experience it at the Thanksgiving table. Remember, it is pre-pandemic, but just pre-pandemic, I was working with a group of Middle East leaders sharing this concept with them. And about a week after our meeting, I get an email from one of them saying, you know, Professor Shapiro, I was there recently at one of the negotiation tables with the other, with my counterpart from the other side. And she said, we had a wonderfully pleasant rapport. And then she said, we started talking about the sensitive issues. She said, all of a sudden I saw that little tornado of vertigo spiraling, pummeling toward me. And then she wrote in this email that she asked herself one simple and I think wonderful question. She asked herself, do I really want to go there? Do I really want to become consumed by that emotional energy of vertigo, that chaotic emotional energy? In her head she said, no. And with that alone, she was able to refocus and continue with what she said was a very productive conversation. I think at the Thanksgiving table, if anybody, you know, any of your listeners find yourself in a place where you're sacred, that which you believe deeply in is being attacked, you might start to feel like you're falling into that place of vertigo. The tornado is starting to capture you, but ask yourself her question. Do you really want to go there? Maybe you do. Maybe you want to scream at, you know, uncle or aunt or sister, brother. Maybe you don't. You know, maybe you should take a deep breath at that point and go, okay, I'm not going to submit to vertigo. I'm going to submit to all of us and the joy of being together here as a family over Thanksgiving. It's not easy. By the way, in case you're wondering, Professor Shapiro told us he absolutely uses these strategies in his own life, in relationships with his wife and kids. 
these things are really helpful. You know, they really are helpful. They're not utopia, panacea, but they help one to see conflict as a natural part of life. The question is, how do we deal with conflict most constructively? And there's some really useful tools out there to do that. This is such a fun conversation. I hope that I can put it into practice on Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, that would be amazing. You'll have to let me know how it goes. You know, and actually, if I could share one more thing that comes to mind. Please. That you were, this one's going to seem utterly soft to any of your listeners, and they're going to write me off completely like, what? Um, but another tool that is extremely helpful in the field of negotiation and conflict is the concept of appreciation. Um, I, I've done work in hostage negotiation. I've um, done some work with the FBI's uh, International Crisis Negotiation Unit Consulting. Um, this is a concept that is regularly used in those contexts and that is useful probably at the Thanksgiving table too. And I'd almost offer this to anybody as a challenge. Appreciation, the way I think about it, is as you are listening to somebody, to listen in the sense of trying to understand what they're saying and to try and see some merit in it. It doesn't mean you agree with it at all. You can completely disagree on the issue of vaccination with what, or you know, non-vaccination. You can, but, but the idea is I want to try to understand and see the logic to your perspective, even though I totally disagree with it. And a potential challenge to somebody at the Thanksgiving table is to try and take that stance. If you do raise some of these political issues, try to come at it from a place of appreciating their perspective. Again, it's trying to understand and see their logic. You don't have to agree with it. Um, it's, it's a strikingly hard thing to do. Um, but if somebody else, but the benefit is that if somebody else feels heard, they're more life, likely to listen to you and your perspective as well. You know, it's a, persu- it's a, a tool of influence as well. Uh, Professor, this is really fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. This is great. I appreciate it, and I hope I can put it into practice. (laughs) No, well, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to connect with you, and um, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Yes, happy Thanksgiving indeed. Eight eighty in depth is a production of WCBS News Radio eight eighty. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld, are the executive producers. Dempsey Pilat provides digital and production assistance. We invite you to listen every week. It's as easy as subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your audio. You can find us on our website, wcbs880.com, under podcasts, the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts. Just search for 880 in depth. Thank you to our guests. Thank you for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and please be safe. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.